This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking with Alan Dowling, CEO at the American Health Information Management Association. Thanks for joining us today. Well, Howard, thank you very much for having me. For starters, why don't you tell us a little bit about AHIMA's mission and its membership? AHIMA's mission is to participate in the leadership of health informatics and information management uh, throughout the world to advance professional practice and standards. We have 60,000 members, and they work in numerous healthcare settings, promoting the advancement and ethical use of health information and ensuring that health information is used appropriately in care and research in health management, and that that information that is going to be used is, in fact, valid, it's accurate, it's complete, it's trustworthy, and it's timely. So our 60,000 members work in a wide variety of organizations, from healthcare delivery to research organizations, in the private sector through the government sector. Now, what we find is, first and foremost, organizations are seeking privacy and security solutions that balance their organizational business needs against the mandate for workable privacy and security safeguards. It's the health information manager's unique professional background in health information management standards and workflows and processes and innovation, coupled with a strong HIM education and experience protecting health information that prepares these individuals to step into privacy and security and leadership roles. Our HIM professionals have the knowledge and expertise to guide the organization implementation of the appropriate security measures necessary to respond to the threats identified through a formal risk assessment, and they participate in those risk assessments. So how can the members of AHIMA help their organizations develop a culture that values privacy and security? Developing a culture that recognizes the importance of privacy and security is a critical part of assuring privacy and security. If you take a look at the macroergonomic model in which we recognize that both the people component and process component and technology component must work together to produce an outcome, then the culture of the people actually is a critical part. Otherwise, the technologies and the processes are not going to have an effect that we want. So for these people in an institution, the roles and responsibilities that they have probably should be divided so that a single end user can subvert an entire critical process. Separation of duties assure that checks and balances are in place, so they tend to be very important. You could argue that with computer-based systems, there is not that much different from manual environments if one wanted to corrupt the data or use it inappropriately. But I argue with information systems, we can do more damage faster if, in fact, we're not careful. And hence, the dividing of roles and responsibilities is a little bit different from the old manual days. We know that functions should be restricted according to the users or the person who's um, accessing the information. There are requirements for the use of that information. The military would call this a need to know. We do know that when we partition access to information, then we provide protections such that no one individual, if they have malintent, can actually misuse the information entirely. So this kind of breaks down into the areas of management controls. And these are the issues and activities that must be addressed by management in the organization's formal information security program. 
and these issues focus on the management of the information, the rights of access to the information, how we assure limited access to the information, as I've mentioned, and the other types of activities dealing with policies and procedures and plans that incorporate not only the institution's intent, but also all relevant state and federal regulations and laws. Then you have the operational controls. Uh, basically, these deal with how we execute on the policies. And they're implemented and executed by staff at all levels of the organization. So operational controls would include contingency planning, uh, awareness and training, physical environmental protections and segregations, computer support and operations being part of this, and the management of security breaches. So what we want to do is basically create an environment in which preventing a breach or a security malpractice from occurring. But then we also want to identify it and limit it if in fact it's occurred and rapidly respond to it. The technical controls are basically fairly sophisticated these days, uh, but it seems that people enjoy trying to find ways of corrupting them anyhow. But clearly, they are involved with the management execution at the platform and software level of uh, the information itself. It deals with you know authentication, the security of the underlying technologies, uh, access control, audit trails, cryptology, and in fact, probabilistic analysis of breaches. So that if we know that a certain data class has a certain characteristic, probably, then if we screen information and find out that there's an abnormal incidence of something, we can react to that, not with certainty, but probability. So for example, if we know that there is a particular disease process uh, that requires certain prescription medication, and we're doing 1,000 cases of this a month on average, but suddenly the spikes to 5,000 cases, and there's no epidemiological underpinning to that, we may be suspect that there is some kind of breach involved and basically the use of information for inappropriate purposes. Now, to properly secure the health of information in any organization, we've got to train our members. This gets back to the human component as to what is appropriate and what their roles are and, again, what their responsibilities are based on their job specifications and positions. We've got to develop a process for evaluating that training and program effectiveness and its reliability and its validity. And this should include provisions for updating the trainers, updating the you know, staff's training periodically. And I feel that it also should include testing of the staff. Um, I've been in situations in which we were able to demonstrate that an individual proved through testing that they knew how and they knew what to do. And when they breached, they couldn't claim that they didn't know uh, either the policy or the procedures. So it tends to be very useful not to try to only react and punish an individual, but if people know in advance uh, that we take privacy and security seriously, then they're less likely to engage in risky behavior of corrupting the information or using it inappropriately. So employee sanctions for violation of privacy have got to be established, fairly administrated, and quite frankly, well-known. Uh, staff really needs to understand that we're serious about this and we're going to enforce it. So those are a few things that are technological, but to a large degree, they're cultural changes in the awareness and the importance of maintaining privacy and security uh, for both the individual and, quite frankly, the operations of the organization in addition to the laws and regulations that we operate under. As many hospitals and clinics prepare to apply for high-tech act incentive payments for using electronic health records, they're taking steps to make sure those records remain private and secure. 
So what advice would you have for those organizations that are implementing their very first EHRs or expanding their use of electronic records about how to protect those records? And uh, what role can your members play in all that? One could argue that implementing an EHR for the first time gives you the opportunity to do things right from the beginning. And sometimes it's actually easier to do that than trying to retread a technical environment that uh, is well entrenched but not overly supportive. So the new EHR adopter has a very powerful tool, and that's the initial acquisition of the software. So clearly acquiring software from a reputable vendor that has a track record of providing software support and security controls in their software is an essential piece of the RFI, RFP selection and contracting process. And also advise organizations to take a look at what the vendor is intending to do about privacy and security support within their software, such that the organization that is selling the software knows that the client, the new adopter, is very serious about this and wants the organization that's providing the software, the vendor, to stay a pace of federal and uh, local requirements for that capability. They must go ahead and assess and create policy as to what their standards of privacy and security are going to be. Basically, these policies and procedures or the logic behind them, the philosophy, really need to drive the specification of any information systems that's required. So that allows the organization to think through how they need to change security and privacy policies in advance of the new software coming in so that they have time to implement those changes in a manual environment and then make sure that they're supported in a computer-based environment. So to me, those are really advantageous things to be able to do for an organization, especially if they're doing it for the first time. Some members of Congress and consumer advocates have called for removal of the so-called harm standard in the pending final version of the high-tech breach notification rule. That standard enables organizations to conduct a risk assessment to determine if a security incident represents a significant risk of harm to individuals and thus needs to be reported to federal authorities and the individuals affected. So would your association like to see the harm standard removed or see other modifications in the final version of the breach notification rule that's still pending? Well, AHIMA has been in favor of keeping the harm standard. However, we do feel that a more defined structure and definition as to what harm is, is indicated. Since there's a danger that in reporting every possible breach of any possible severity, we may in fact numb the public from reacting when a real breach or an important breach or significant breach actually occurs. We also know that the operational impact, the economic impact in healthcare delivery um, to respond to all versus important or serious uh, breaches um, is significant. So we need to make sure we have the uh, socially acceptable, culturally acceptable standards done, but retain the standards such that we are, in fact, protecting the information. HHS, OCR, with the HIPAA entity community and, and consumer groups, need to better define this rule. Um, it should be a combination of federal and institutional definitions that are joined here uh, to something that, in fact, is operable but still significant. But the fact that we have state breach rules with varying requirements in addition to the federal rules makes the entire process sometimes confusing 
for healthcare delivery organizations or others handling health information, much less to consumers. So harmonization of these laws and standards probably would be in everyone's best interest. Now, I know that gets into the issue of what is private versus public and versus state versus federal rights. But basically, uh, if we're all working on the same side of this and trying to do the right thing, that harmonization, I believe, is possible. Now, it's helpful to see government take action in situations where neglect has caused a breach. In other words, it is not inappropriate for government to put in place standards, expectations, and reactions to help assure the, the policy, national policy or state policy, is in fact enforced so that the public does have some level of trust in the protection of their information. That trust is essential not only to the patient, but to the provider, to the provider organization, to the insurer, to the government, to virtually everyone involved in the health industry. Finally, if the high-tech incentive program succeeds in promoting the widespread use of electronic health records, as well as the sharing of records via health information exchanges, what will be the key to winning the public's trust that their information is adequately protected? We have seen communities react to the potential of a health information exchange coming into their environment when the reaction is uh, very significantly based on can I trust it or not. Uh, in one uh, piece of research that I was involved in, we did very large-scale stakeholder studies into the trust issue, and we found sometimes not unsurprising results from that as to who people trusted a priori and who they don't. It's going to be important, I think, for adoption at the personal level, which is going to be essential, for that trust to exist. So the issue is what can we do about that, as you say. Well, from the community perspective, the public really needs to know laws and regulations do exist and they are taken seriously and they're going to be enforced. In other words, the privacy of the information is sacrosanct and in, uh, society, government, will in fact recognize that and uh, support that. Now, that means reacting um, to, if you will, identify and, if necessary, punish inappropriate use of information. And that ranges from um, personal gain all the way through the other end of it, uh, discrimination based on this information. I know a researcher at a university who failed to get a job because the um, hospital that she was looking for a job in, associated with the university, in fact got a hold of her medical records and decided that she was testing for HIV every month, and that was really inappropriate. And they made the decision that they did not want to incur a, an economic loss uh, from someone who had a pre-existing condition. And it was mindless because the fact of the matter is this person who was applying for the position was an HIV researcher and the whole research team got tested every month. So it's easy to see how information can be misinterpreted to the detriment of the individual and ultimately to society. So that kind of thing we really can't tolerate in the society. We need to have a public who understands that we take privacy and security seriously. We need them to know that we're going to react appropriately to protect that privacy and security. We need to make sure that all of our staff and our institutions are trained appropriately, tested, and that, in fact, retention in their positions is based in part on uh, assuring the compliance with this policy, that there is very significant repercussion for um, misuse of the information. We need to make sure that people know that we have active security processes in place, 
uh, that we are proactively um, preventing breaches to the greatest degree at all possible. And that deals with clinicians and how they talk about information all the way through um, people and who they choose to allow it to be released to. Um, so the education of patients and caregivers is, is quite frankly equally important. We need to let people know that we do have effect this public commitment to the protection of the information. And if we do that, and if we assure that information in HIEs is safeguarded in mechanisms that already have trust built in, that will help. So for example, one community decided that they would participate in a health information exchange, but if and only if there were a specially designed nonprofit organization whose sole purpose was to be there to protect that information and provide the service to the others who needed the information. That community decided they did not want an for-profit organization that could, in fact, be sold to another entity and that the privacy assurances given might be changed under the sale of that, uh, that entity. We obviously need to be able to react publicly and immediately to breaches um, to reinforce the trust. And we need to make sure that our organizations really do know the laws, do have the policies, and are going to react appropriately. If we do all of those things, then we may well get to a situation in which there is sufficient trust that people will be more readily involved in very important things like health information exchanges and personal health records and so forth. Without it, we may in fact find a situation in which trust is not there and we have very significant adoption problems. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Ellen Dowling, CEO of the American Health Information Management Association. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.